0: Hey, this is Philip Stutz from WinBig Media. And if you're trying to figure out how to be deep, connective marketing, you've got to continue to listen to Brandon Burkmeyer on Brands on Brands on Brands. In a world where advertising is ignored, business is exposed, and the only constant is change. How do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands on Brands, a home for those who think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here's your host,
1: Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Brands on Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, your personal marketing coach. Thanks for tuning in today. This is where we believe that building a brand that matters is the only way for a business to thrive tomorrow. I'm excited to talk to you guys. It's another interview day because on Mondays, we bring you interviews. On Thursdays, we bring you the strategies, the tactics, diving deep one-on-one. But interviews are always fun for me because I really get to pick the brains and collide ideas with the thought leaders out there in the marketing world. And today is no different. Today, we have Philip Stutz. Philip is the best-selling author of Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell, and one of the masterminds behind the curtain of political marketing that you guys see out there all the time, has 20 years, uh, and more than 20 years of political and marketing experience and has worked for multiple Fortune 200 companies over the past two decades and spent billions of dollars on political ads. Not to go too deep into it, but literally... 12, over 1,200, almost 1,300 elections have been won with him at the helm, including hundreds of U.S. House campaigns, dozens of U.S. Senator campaigns, and even three U.S. presidential victories. He's the founder of and, and executive chairman of Go Big Media. It's a political media firm and the founder and CEO of Win Big Media, which is a corporate marketing agency. And together, these companies have won more than 41 national awards for marketing and creative content. In addition. He is represented by Gary Vaynerchuk's Vayner Speakers, which I know a lot of you have heard. He's a keynote speaker for one of the country's largest privately held speaker bureaus and has made more than 260 national media appearances including CBS, ESPN, Fox News, Fox Business, MSNBC, CNN, the list goes on. Has also appeared on some of the world's most popular podcasts. Hopefully, he would call this one of them. Uh, but podcasts like Gary V, The Daily V, The James Altucher Show, The Adam Carolla Show, the Dr. Drew Podcast, Jay Abrams, who I look up to, absolutely, and has been a lot of it as a marketing genius by Fox Business, a political guru by ESPN, and the Michael Jordan of political marketing by Mike Dillard, which is my personal favorite because you guys know if you've been listening, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. So even though I'm a Laker fan, number one, I'm a Michael Jordan fan from just when I was a kid. But I digress. Let's get back to why we are here. Uh, I had a great conversation with Philip about marketing, but mostly about the lies that digital marketers sell. In other words, how to avoid those pitfalls of like signing up with the wrong partner agencies that are just there to take your money, that aren't actually doing the work and the rigor to find out what's going to work for your company to sell your products and services. It happens all the time. And finally, he's putting a stake in the ground and saying, this is what to do so that that doesn't happen. And we get into that, uh, we get into his five steps to successful marketing programs and some of his big ideas around what you need to prioritize in your marketing program. So let's get started with that. If you guys want to check out his website, it is Philipstutz.com. That's dot com, and winbigmedia.com. And we'll talk about that again in the show because he's offering a free marketing audit for you guys which is not just a rinky-dink audit, like a really robust, in-depth look into your business. So listen for that. And with no further ado, here we go. Check it out. Brandon Brand. All right, let's get going. Today, I'm excited to bring to you guys our guest. Please welcome Phil, <laughs> Philip Stutz. I just want to call you Phil. We just got to know each other. Philip, thank you for being here with me today.
0: Hey, so honored to be here, Brandon. Thanks for having
1: me. Does anyone call you Phil or is that like a no-no?
0: I actually don't care, but no one calls me Phil. I, usually, people that don't know know me. Call me Phil. I feel like if you're <laughs> in
1: your 20s, you can get away with Phil, and then once yeah. you're, you're like grown up, I'm always i have always
0: going by Philip. <laughs> Some, you know, it's funny. People in the northeastern part of the United States they love to shorten anybody's name. Yeah, so they just call me Phil, and I I don't care. You know, my, <laughs> listen, Philip is my middle name. My first name is Eugene, so I'm much happier with Phil or Philip. Than Eugene, so perfect.
1: They, well, we we opened a can of worms there, but you know, <laughs> I've really, never been making. asked this. By the way <laughs> uh, we're keeping it fun. It's just, it's you know it's real people we're talking to here. It's not just you know marketing speak the whole time. But the reason I am excited to talk to Philip today is we get to get perspective that speaks directly to business owners about how to take ownership of your marketing approach, how to avoid being exploited by your marketing partners. That's why I'm excited. It's something I've talked to before. Uh, are you ready to go? Oh, I'm ready. Let's get started with a little bit of the inspiration, the initial inspirations for the book. What was happening in the marketing landscape that stood out for you? Yeah. At first, what got you down this rabbit hole?
0: Well, I'm gonna, it's going to go into a place your listeners probably don't think. But in 2012, I was diagnosed with an incurable disease. I have an esophageal disease. It's called achalasia. It affects one out of 100,000 people. Most of those ones are in their seventies or eighties. I was diagnosed in my thirties. Basically, the muscles and nerves in my esophagus don't work. Therefore, food does not travel from when I swallow to my stomach and it gets lodged. Anything I eat, anytime I eat, and it is incurable. And, um, I pretty much spiraled downhill for a long, for many years, um, after this diagnosis and I did nothing about it. Here I am claiming to be this like disruptive person or whatever in the marketing place. And then I, literally in my own health, I did not Google the disease for five years. I had 15 minor procedures on my esophagus in this five-year period and three major surgeries. The last major surgery, the the doctor at the Mayo Clinic, because that's where I'm being treated, basically said, you're going to have to have your esophagus removed within five to 10 years. and you'll be in a feeding tube the rest of your life. You're very susceptible to esophageal cancer and all these things. And um, I remember walking out of the doctor's office and I said, I don't accept this. And this is sort of, I, f- I finally said, oh my God, why aren't I treating this disease like I do my my companies, my businesses and become an entrepreneur? Now, I don't fault the Mayo Clinic for that attitude. They see a hundred patients a day. So why do that, why am I any different? And once you realize that, especially... And the sort of entrepreneurial mindset that you're going to make your success, not them. And so I pledged in that moment that I would uh, find a cure to this rare, incurable curable disease with no research dollars behind it. And I would find a cure in five years. And this is like the ignorance of an entrepreneur is sort of a, a beautiful thing and I'm completely ignorant, right? And so this all leads around back to your question, which is I decided to take this leap I wrote an article in Inc. Magazine saying I was going to find a cure. That was three years ago. There's too long a story. I tell it from stage, but it's too long a story. But I will tell you this. The sum of it is in about six weeks, I will start the first ever clinical trial uh, that has ever been done, not on animals, not on humans. About six months ago, they um, extracted stem cells out of my thigh muscle. And they they've grown them in a stem cell clinic. And they will inject them into my esophagus in about six weeks to try to regenerate the muscles and nerves. It's being done at Johns Hopkins. It's never happened before. We don't know if it'll work or if it'll be catastrophic. We don't know. And I'll, we'll find out soon enough. But my point is, rounding back to your question. Yeah, and, and,
1: and I get the lesson. I'm like, and I'm drawing the parallels, and I'm glad you're going to draw it for them too. Yeah. The, the idea that if you just do what you're told, you're gonna, you might miss some huge opportunities because you, you do have to take a little bit of ownership and responsibility. For everything.
0: Man, I I was, I I ceded my health to the Mayo Clinic, who wouldn't do that. And that was a big mistake. Not that I don't need to listen to them on some things, but I needed to take control. And it just changed this mindset in me. And all of a sudden, I just changed this mindset. Like, I want to go create a big ad agency. And I work in politics. So I wanted to create. So five years ago, I created Go Big Media, which is a political ad agency, marketing agency. We have grown that to be a $30 million business with no outside investment, no loans, and I'm the sole owner. And we did that in less than five years. And so I pivoted (laughs) a few years ago because I had a friend of mine tell me, you should be doing this in corporate America because corporate marketers could learn a lot with how you market candidates. Don't get away from the partisanship I'm not talking about that. And so I said, oh, yeah, that's interesting. So I said, you know, before I do that, I'm going to go do my work. And so I interviewed 100 CEOs from Fortune 500 to small business startups. And this goes back to the, the question of where it came about. And every one of them had the exact same answer. I mean, honestly, I didn't, it, no one deviated. It wasn't like one out of 100 that was different. They all had the same answer. All of them had hired marketing agencies. All of them had fired marketing agencies multiple times. That the rules of the game in marketing did, benefited the marketing agency, not the business. And that they felt taken advantage of, and they felt like that they couldn't trust anybody in marketing. Now, if you work in marketing, you're listening to this right now. You're like, "Oh yeah, our clients don't trust us at all." And I get it. Like I, you know, I'm I own multiple marketing agencies, and so I said, "You know, it's interesting. I'm going to throw a huge curveball to the crowd right now. Political marketers are more ethical than corporate marketers." Now what? that's the curveball. Yeah, <laughs> here's why and 24 years of political marketing, because I started in 1996, in 24 years, I have never had a contract with a candidate or a business that wasn't month to month. Every contract I've ever signed in the history of my career has been month to month, which means the company, the business, the politician, the, you know, whatever, my clients, they can fire me at any time if I don't win for them, every day. If I'm not fighting for them every day, if I'm not being innovative for them every day, if I'm not building trust every day, if I don't have results, they can get rid of me. That's the model I've established. Now, is that hard? Yeah, it's much easier. And this is what every CEO said. They were locked into long-term contracts with marketers, even though the marketing agency wasn't performing, they couldn't get out of the contract. And I went, well, that's totally insane because you, in my business, you'd be fired if you weren't performing. Right. We fired immediately because every contract in the political marketing world is month to month. So I just started saying, wow, there's something here. And then I started p- applying political principles to corporate marketer or, or to, to clients that we got up on the, that we signed up on the corporate side. And we started having really crazy results for them. And the reason I, I it's crazy to it sound is it goes back to the contract. I'm forced to be innovative every day. I win when the client wins. If the client wins first, I'm going to make tons of money and I'm going to be ultimately very successful. But the company that hires me to be their marketer, if they don't see results, I'm gone. So it forces me to think every single day about innovating and performing and finding you know, a positive ROI for our clients. And then everybody that comes into our marketing agency is forced to think like that. It's not just me. We're all on the line every day. And I just think that that's the most important thing. And I kept finding that and said, ah, I've got to tell this story. And so that's one of the lies in in my book, but I've got seven, but that's one of them. And that's the the main one.
1: And the book he's talking about, I know I mentioned it in the intro, but let's cover it here. It's, you know, Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell. And as a digital, as a marketer, as someone who has a marketing agency, it's, you, you know, you could be calling yourself out, But the point is saying we're different, right? Like that's the whole the whole thing, is it? And and the way you should judge that is by taking control of your own marketing and saying this is how I'm going to structure how I work with partners and and agencies and 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 the like. And I like that you set that up for them because a lot of people just be like, okay, well, you you know, I'll pick someone that like seems recommended and you know they seem to know what they're doing. I'm not a marketing expert. I'm going to hire someone that seems to be working with big companies and knows what they're doing. And 12 months later, like sales can be up or down and I'm still paying them.
0: Correct. And, you know, listen, I, again, I come from politics, so I have a scorecard and the scorecard is election day. You know, I win or lose. And because everything is recorded in the Federal Election Commission or every state has a database that shows how much I'm being paid and who hired me, everything's transparent. So. You can say to yourself, "Oh, wow, he's transparent, and he has a scorecard." But here's the crazy thing: this is where it applies, and this is the real part of it. It's all that is true. Like, if I don't win, I'm out of business, and I'm out of business because my competition, my uh, the other political marketers that I go up against, every time I pitch a candidate, they will come out and cut my legs out from under me and say, "See all the losses he had two years ago, last year, whatever. You don't want to hire that guy; he loses races." So. That's what I'm up against. And it's I don't win every single race possible, right? I think in the last three and a half years, we've won. We've had 276 political clients and we've won 238 of them. We don't win every, but we've won the vast majority. And that's because our mindset is we must put their needs first. We must make sure they win. And when they win, I can leverage it to better clients make more money, stay with that candidate for a long time. Maybe that candidate goes from mayor to governor to congressman to senator to run for president. And that's absolutely happened to me because I've worked on eight presidential campaigns uh, and three of them have won. So, you know, I've seen that trajectory. I win when they win. And that's the whole mindset that I look at when I go to corporate marketing. And that's why we've been successful.
1: All right. And you, know, I think a lot of people listening, especially those business owners out there that have worked with marketing agencies, haven't seen the ROI ha- and have lost faith in marketing, even though they see other people, you know, it works for them, why doesn't it work for me? I don't know, but I've tried it, I've tried it with multiple people, I'm not getting what I need. I'm giving up. Like let's dig into the topic of marketing and choosing your priorities. Yeah. What is it that you've done different about how you set priorities than, you know, a traditional agency?
0: So there is a five-step process that we utilize in politics to market candidates. This five-step process is what we all use. So the marketer that's running the candidate that I'm running against uses it against me, right? I use it against them. Uh, It's the same five-step process that every sports team uses in today's day and age to win championships. And they're using it all against each other. It's the same five-step process that trial attorneys use to win court cases. It's the same five-step process that my doctor used to help get me in better health. It's the same one. The only industry that I have found that is not following this process, 99% of them are marketers and businesses. And so what I've done is applied this five-step process. We call it the undefeated marketing system. I'm actually in trademarking it right now. And we've applied it to businesses and everybody that has followed it has grown their bottom line. Now, there are plenty of businesses that have come in and said, I want the get rich quick pill and I, uh, I don't have it. But if they follow these five steps and I'll walk through them with you, and this is what we do in politics. So let me ha- tell you how we do it in politics and then I'll apply it to business. Does that work?
1: Yeah, it works. I thought you were going to throw in like, it's the, it's the same five steps that Jesus used. To start oh, his own thing, I and, you know,
0: probably
1: work that one out. That see be if it's, it amazing. might be, have <laughs> been what he used to spread the message across the country. You know, who knows?
0: I'll tell you how it works in politics and in sports. And then I'll tell you how it applies to corporate. So stay tuned because I'm going to get there. But the metaphors are going to be powerful. OK, <laughs> so in politics, the first thing a candidate does when they hire us is they say, hey, you know, I want to win the race. And I say, great. What are the five things or 10 things you believe in? What are the most important things that you care about that you want to run against? And then they lay those things out. And I said, awesome. And then I'm going to be very uh, simple for this podcast because it's much more complicated than this. But then we go out and poll the district or the state and we find out what do the voters care about? And we always find two or three issues where we have total alignment, where the voters are completely passionate about an issue. And so is the candidate. From that point forward, we don't talk about anything else. So step one is you got to know what the data says. What is the data? In politics, it's what does the voter care about, right? I love the politicians, but I really care about the voters. So we find alignment. And then the next thing we do based on what the voters care about, and we find that alignment of those two or three issues, we don't talk about anything else. That's it. That's all we talk about. The other seven or eight, I don't care. We're not talking about it. Then we go out and put a complete marketing strategic plan together, right? To show them how they need to win how they need to speak to voters and how the the campaign will run from then until next day from a marketing standpoint. Step three is now that we know what the voters care about and there's alignment, we take those two or three issues, we build their brand, right? Their website, their advertising, all their entire brand is going to be rebranded based on what the data told us. Step four, now that we know those two or three things, we are going to test them a hundred different ways. So there are, you know, in this day and age, you could run a hundred ads on the exact same, and I hate banners, but give me, a, but we could run a hundred banner ads as a test. I like banners to test message and creative. I don't like banners to convert, right? So that's a way to do it at a low cost. It doesn't cost the business owner or the, or the politician a lot of money. So we will test, we will A-B test those messages. And of 10 concepts we come up with, between those two or three messages, we will find something that crushes, that rises to the top. Like, if we talk about this issue in this way, there is no stopping this candidate. You know, we know from all the testing that they are on fire and the way you're communicating that particular message. From that point, we've eliminated, that's one through four, we've eliminated all the all the risk. We now know what the data says. We're following the data, not a bunch of, let's sit around the table and have some brainstorms. And we've now launched the campaign, the ad campaign, the marketing campaign, and we go 100 miles an hour. Those are the five steps in sports. All right. Let me walk through the first thing they do. At, at, let's, uh, who's your favorite? Do you have a, do you like football?
1: Uh, I'm a lake. I'm a Lakers fan. LA okay. Lakers.
0: Great. You love the Lakers. All right. So yeah. the Lakers have a game in three days. Who, who do they play this
1: week? They just lost to the Bucks. Well, yeah. I saw that, but
0: not <laughs> take that one off the table. Do you know their next game? No, I don't. All right. Great. They're playing the 76ers. Right. All right. The first thing that LeBron and the team is going to do is they're going to go in and watch film. They're going to study the data of their opponent, right? Right. So they're going to figure out the data. Then they're going to put a game plan together. That's your strategic plan, right? Then the owners of the company, let's say it's going to be a home game. They are cleaning the jerseys. They are cleaning the arena. They're making a great experience at the arena. That's brand. They're rebranding it based on what the customers want, right? The second thing is, what are they going to do? What, is, what are the Lakers going to do? What are LeBron and the Lakers going to do between now and game day? They're going to practice. They're going to test their play, game plan. They're going to see what works against, they think will work against the 76ers, what, what, what won't work against the 76ers. Before they do that, then they go out and play the game. So this is what every team does in sports. This is what we do in political marketing. By the way, trial attorney, same thing, uh, meta, uh, health, same thing. And then we got into the corporate marketing world. We realized nobody did this. The first step I do before you can, you you have to follow my five steps, or you can't work with me. But the one thing we do is we we built a uh, partnership with the la- largest data collection company in America. We're the only marketing firm that has this partnership. And I went out and spent a lot of money to have the ability to access their platform. So I take my clients. So we worked for a huge apparel company. We worked for a high eight-figure health food company, and we overlaid their customer data onto this platform and we tracked what their customers had done the previous six months and what they're doing in the next month. And the reason that's important is now I can tell you what those customers think, what they feel. I can tell you the top values in life. I can tell you what, what, they go, what websites they go to, what they read. What, I can tell you what connected TV they're watching on their, on, you know, on their devices. And I can tell you what platforms they go on in a chronological order from highest to lowest. So if that company has a customer base that doesn't want to be on Facebook and they're running ads on Facebook, well, now you found where all marketers are going wrong. They're throwing out and saying, you need to run Facebook ads or Instagram ads. What if their customers aren't there? And so I go and find out where the data tells me to go. In addition Now I know how to market to them on the things they care about, not what the business owner wants to talk about. And I think that's a critical component. So that is step one. Obviously, step two is we take that data and devise a marketing plan for them. Step three is we take, whether it's their website, their creative, whatever, we rebrand them based on what the customer wants to see from that company. What is important? For example, we worked with an Instagram influencer. She had almost a million followers. She sold beauty products and she said, I built this platform, we're we're doing conferences, we're selling products, and I want to go to Facebook next. And I said, cool, but let's find out what the data says. So we overlaid her customer base, her followers, and we found out that Facebook was the fourth ranked platform for her followers. And she was about to go invest hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to win that platform. Number one was not Instagram either. Number two was Instagram. Number one was Pinterest. Pinterest. Right. She had never developed anything on Pinterest. The data told me where to go. And so we've developed that and saved that person millions of dollars over the long run to go to where the customer is. And then and we also found in the data that the customer base was very religious and very family oriented. And she was too. But she had never told anyone from stage or on Instagram the amount of money she gave to charity, which for people of faith that are faith based, that is incredibly important. And so we said, you've got to go out and tell the story of how much money you give to charity, how much you volunteer, what you do. That builds a deeper connection. And then we built the plan, right? We rebranded certain, you know, around the things that the customers really cared about. We tested it and found out what worked. And then we launched it to grow the brand on different platforms. And we do this with everybody. And the reason I like named it and trademarked it, Undefeated Marketing System, is because we haven't lost when we've applied it. Right. So it's so critically important, first step before anything else. And here I am on brands on brands on brands and brands and brands, right? And I'm telling (laughs) you right now, don't create your brand based on what you think is the most important thing about your company. It has to be about your company, but it should be about what the customer cares about. All right, I got another
1: example. uh, Yeah, let's stop for one second. There's a lot to take in for the listeners and I want them to get the value of all this. And I don't want you to lose that thought. So keep that thought. Uh, The piece that I think what, what you start to hear is, but this is what all the marketers promised me to begin with. They all, you know, say they do research. They know my consumer. They say they know what marketing channels I'm supposed to be on. And they say that they test, but I feel like there's what people say and then there's versions of what they do that are different than like the rigor that you're putting through for, for a lot of these uh, the, the brands that you're working with. Yeah. And I think that's the difference. But like knowing who's doing what and if it's working, like are they actually doing the rigor that you're talking about or are they not? That seems like a hard thing to judge, especially when you're just getting to know an agency or a business to work with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would just say uh, that, you know, first of all, and I lay this out in the book, like how the business owner can win, right? And I I mean, I'm just saying this, every decision I make with a a corporate client of ours, they know when they talk to me and we're going to make a decision, whether it's to go from one step to another, or it's to figure out with that, let's say step five, which I believe should be more in the sort of, how do you develop retargeting pools? Uh, You know, are you prospecting versus retargeting? And then what is the balance and what is that? Everything's backed up by data, right? Like when we make decisions, we all look at the data. It's not me going, well, I think you should do this. And then we're going to move you over here. And it's like, no, here's what the data said we should talk about. Here's the data, how your brand should be. Here's the data that says your test, the testing that we did on these ads. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. All right. So my other example is once we got to step five and we launched this apparel company recently, we found out that once we got people in the, this is an e-commerce business. Once we got people into the retargeting pools, right? So we ran ads on them. And they clicked through, right? Ooh, now we know men bought within three, you know, th- they had seen the ad three times, right? So they were almost impulsive buyers for this apparel company. We didn't realize that until we looked at the data. But women, it took almost nine contacts for them to make a purchase. And the reason being is because they wanted to have a deeper understanding, they wanted a feeling before they purchased. So for instance, So we did, for men, we ran, uh, in politics, we do negative ads, right? Well, I've incorporated that into all of our corporate clients where we do comparative ads that don't offend anybody, but draw comparisons, draw distinctions, and get people from really recognition to discovery. I'm trying to get people from recognition to discovery to acquisition, right? And we ran an ad that said, don't buy uh, your clothes from a shoe company. Just don't do it. That was the test ad that blew through the roof, right? Right? It blew through the roof with men, not women. And that was interesting. I didn't really think about that. I thought it would just work everywhere. And then I went, okay, that's interesting. Women don't want the comparative ad for this apparel company. I get it. Sometimes women do like it, but this one, it didn't work. But the women we ran, uh, they said they wanted to feel, they wanted to make sure they were were assured. That's what we saw in the data. So we took real five-star reviews of their product. And we made those the ads from Frank G. Like this is the most comfortable sweat. I'm wearing this sweatshirt, most comfortable (laughs) sweatshirt I've ever worn. Right, like on and on. And then when we ran the five star ads, the the basically the valid third party validation ad, their average first purchase went from fifty five dollars to ninety two dollars, at a forty five percent lower cost per purchase. It was a hundred and seventy percent increase in the average first purchase amount. So my point is, is that like we need to go in there and figure out and maneuver and use it, but I'm not using it going, well, maybe next time they'll work. No, it'll work. The data tells us where to go. And then we put lighter fluid on it once we know it works.
1: Yeah. No, I love that. I'd love to dive more into some of these, the lies that the digital marketers tell and sell, because <laughs> I think there's a lot of them out there. And I think there's a, I've seen just like, you know, having to do the homework yourself. A lot of us have tried things and they haven't worked. We're spending money on things that are shiny, that are, topical mm. and trendy and they, when you actually try them, they're not working for your business because you don't have <laughs> this rigor. But first, let's get a little bit of like if people want to get to know you better, yeah. I'd like to get that out of the way early sure. uh, because I want to dive into this book some more. Where can they find you uh, if they're looking for you and what are you excited about right now?
0: Yeah, so show notes, I'm sure you'll have it down there. It's philipstutz.com. It's just my name. And if you go to philipstutz.com, we have a free marketing on it uh, and I'd offer this to anybody listening. Basically, it's five minutes, five-minute free marketing on it. You fill out uh, your, basically, your publicly available information for your company. My team spends two to three days pouring over that publicly available digital footprint of yours, and then they will produce a 25.7 to 9-page report showing you what you're doing right and what you can improve, and we'll also do a 30-minute consultation to answer any questions you have and deliver the report at the same time, and that's free, and you can find that at phillipsets.com. Got it. Yeah, What I know. am I excited about? I'm, exactly. I, I'm such a nerd, Brandon. I'm excited about retargeting pools. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced that you've got to create emotional, connective, like all the data in the world want to get you nowhere if you're, if you're creative sucks. So I'm all about marrying great creative and all I've ever done that, you know, the most persuasive, Conversion marketers in the world are are political marketers, right? I mean, listen. If I can get a voter to vote for an unknown or an unsavory candidate, I I can sell a tube of toothpaste. Like I, you know, like that's that's it's not hard, right? But what I'm really interested in is once you get someone from recognition to discovery. So let's just take a testing phase. We got a banner up, and and somebody clicks on that banner because they're curious, right? They they want to discover more. They're not going to buy not from a banner, but it's going to tell you that message works. So then how do you create high level creative that gets them from discovery to acquisition? And then how long does it take? How long does that retargeting take? Right. And so every industry is different. Ecom is absolutely different than just normal B2C and B2B obviously is completely different because B2B is more on the branding side, right? right? Or anything else. So I'm sort of obsessed with retargeting pools right now and how they break down. Like We're in a woke world. I get it. Everybody's offended by everything. I get it. But there are differences between genders and races and all that stuff. And I'm so curious how people choose because I don't look at whether you're a man or a woman or whether you're black or white or Hispanic. I look at what the data tells me and then I can deliver creative. And I want to be you know to that demo that wants that creative. I want to be real clear. This is not a, I'm trying to manipulate you. I'm telling every marketer right now that, you know, everybody's out there screaming people, everyone's got a phone in front of your face. And it's absolutely true. But no one is clicking on anything that I can't find a connection with. And what we lack in this day and age, and I'm old enough to know this, like I didn't grow up with cell phones. I didn't grow up with uh, internet. I didn't grow up with anything like that. Like we talked and we got to know each other and we were bored as stiff. We were bored stiff. But I develop deep, emotional, connective relationships with people. And that is what not only millennials, but Gen Z lack. And so I'm fascinated with how I can do this through marketing. How do I build a relationship with a product or service that makes people say, yeah, that makes me feel good. Yeah, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, I want to. I want more of that. I'm obsessed with it. And that's what I'm fired up about right now.
1: I love it. And you, you mentioned, as soon as you mentioned, like when we say political advertising, I know that the, the elephant in the room that comes to people's minds is the, like the slur campaigns, the negative, yeah. whatever, the versions right. of all that. You have a whole chapter called Go Negative, yeah. which I'm sure most people like as, like as a business are like, I should avoid that. We see a lot of that in political <laughs> advertising. How does that fit into like the non-political advertising world?
0: So it's the greatest use of creative right now across the board that I'm seeing anything else and everybody's scared to do it. So if you do it and you do it correctly, it has unlimited ability to grow what you're doing, right? I wrote a book called Fire Them Now. I went negative on an entire industry, right? I mean, I'm. it's a metaphor for what I'm preaching to people. We represented a, a, a large eight-figure health food company. And when we looked at their customer data, we realized that 50% of them were ve- vegan and vegetarian. And that as crazy as this sounds, this is how granular we got. The 80% or it was like 76 or 80% hated soda. Don't ask me, I don't know. I just know the data shot back and said they were anti-soda, okay? And it makes sense. It's a health food company, right? right. But how would you know soda unless you overlaid customer data to understand what they cared about and what they thought. So we ran in this test stage four, we ran all these, I think 10 ads, 10, nine of them were positive And one of them was an anti-soda ad for the company, right? And the number two performing test ad we ran was the vegan vegetarian ad. Okay. But the negative anti-soda ad had a two X click through rate over the number two ranked ad, not, over everything else. The number 2 ranked ad. So the number 2 did great. But this the, the comparative ad and it was basically, you know, it wasn't even that bad. It was just like, you know, don't say no or you know, don't use soda, buy this product. I mean, it was something like that. I, you know, I don't right, right, right. have NDAs so I can't get yeah. into who it is. But we had a 2x click through compared to the number 2 tested ad and a 20% higher conversion rate over that number 2 very successful ad that is an extraordinary number if you're talking about an eight figure business a high eight figure business and what i'm telling you is across the board we are seeing this again for the apparel company we ran an ad that said just don't do it it connected with <laughs> men they went they laughed and they said and you know they probably said yeah why am i buying clothes from a shoe company that's not what i should do and they clicked through and they discovered this ad and it had the biggest ROI So among men. So my thing is, let me say this. The reason we did it was because the customer base of the apparel company wanted to wear higher quality clothes, right? And our casual clothes, right? They wanted something that felt great. So going negative against Nike was not offending anyone in their customer base. Going negative against the soda industry to a customer base that hated soda at a 76% clip, the other 24% Probably didn't care either way. And they were all vegan and vegetarian. Well, that is just good use (laughs) of the data to build a bigger connection. And the reason it builds a better connection is you're right, we're divided right now. People respond to emotional pitches and pleas. I feel like that's all I've ever done. I'm not talking about the way we did it in politics, where we take a club and knock them over the head, a politician. That's not how to do it. But you have to draw comparisons to get your ROI to a higher position.
1: Well, I think what, what I'm hearing a lot of is that the idea that you have to do something that, that gets them to feel something. And most things people either ignore or they're agnostic about one way or the other, especially if it's an ad. And if you can find something that triggers them to pay attention, number yeah, one, right. but it's number two, something they actually care about and they want to know more about what you're talking about or they, it brings them to either align with you or repel from you, you've got something.
0: Yeah, you, people are trying to join tribes. So you're, what, what I use for comparative advertising is bringing people in the tribe. They want to feel like they belong. I'm also anti-soda. I like these guys. They, are, they stand for my values, right? And they do. They have a very healthy uh, health food company. I the health food company helps other people. It, it serves their constituency, their customer base very well. So that's the, the key to the whole thing is you've just got to find a re- – look, I think the Wharton School of Business says right now that 50% of all purchasing decisions are coming from people looking at reviews before they make a purchase. And so when we talk about what that example I gave on the apparel company just a few minutes ago, it's exactly why it worked with women, right? It worked with men, not as much as the comparative ad, but again, crazy. That's what the data told us. So now I'm gonna invest more money in the comparative ad with men and more money in the five-star review with women and now I've optimized before I've spent a large amount of money of the client's dollars. So I've put their risk, I've lowered their risk. I've put their interest ahead of mine. And now they are, have complete trust because it's not me guessing. It's what the data says. So there's absolute trust. And then we launch and we build a company or we help build it. They have their own growth.
1: Yeah. And I want to. I want to get towards the idea, like, is this something that, Small business owners can do, and entrepreneurs that are just getting started. How do they sure. tap into that? You know, with lower budgets and that kind of thing. Before I get into that, I do want to talk to you about this concept of branding versus selling. Yeah. And I know you have a unique perspective on it, and I, <laughs> I'm a fan of it. But okay. and this is called brands on brands on brand. Yeah. However, I get calls all the time that Brandon look at my logo, Brandon look at my website. Yeah. You know what? Do you, and the first thing I tell to them is, "How's your business?" Like. Are yeah. you are you actually yes. selling stuff? Is it working? I don't want you to even worry about branding and marketing until you've got something that you, is actually selling. That, that you have a business model that works. But let's hear like for you, branding and yeah. selling. Like what's important and when?
0: Well, you so you you preaching you're 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 speaking my language. So I I love branding. Like branding is vitally important. But where in the process is it? Right. So and yeah, you know, and you're teaming me up because this is one of the lies in the book, which is. One of the, again, what the CEOs of all these companies told me is, brand it and they will come. Great brand and then just business floods in. And what the marketers do is they go sell this. We need to get your brand up first and we need to make sure we pump out your brand. And people have got to get to know you and all And by the way, there's some truth to that. I get it. Like some companies have no, like they've got to do both. But the point is, is that they go spend all this money, they get no ROI, and then the marketing marketing company comes back and gets the second bite of the apple. Now that we've branded, let's go convert customers, right? I'm saying this, branding is critical to your business and success. But first, shouldn't your brand be based on what the customer or clients want first, and that it aligns with your values and what you want to do with your business? So find out what the customer thinks first. If you're starting a business, who's your ideal customer, right? So like I told you, we have this uh, partnership with the largest data collection company in America. I paid a six-figure licensing fee so that I could then offer it to companies at a drastically reduced price, like 1% of what I paid. But again, if I if if enough people invest in this, it'll obviously, it's paid back. But my point is, I thought, they only offered it to large, like Fortune 500, 100 million dollar companies, and I said, "I there's a market for people that want to know what their lookalike audience, their customer base, you know, what do they care about? Let's offer it to them too." So I offered it at a massive discount. So and it's we we charge five grand because I want to be upfront so people aren't calling me and saying, "I want that hundred dollar uh, data thing," but it's five grand. And I can build a lookalike audience, I can be build a target audience, or I can overlay your customer base. I can skin the cat a hundred different ways. I can put a pixel on your website and anybody that comes to it, I can track all their movements and what they do. So I can skin the cat a hundred different ways. But my point is, before you go out and brand, you got to know what drives the customer and you got to deliver it for them. Because ultimately, when you're trying to run ads to convert customers or clients, They want to come back and see your brand and go. That's those people resonate with me. They, I, I feel connection immediately. That brand, I I get it. Like they, they speak to me. It's not going to happen if you just run out and throw a brand out there. You got to know what they want first, and then you got to put it in your process. In my process, the branding stage does come before conversion, but only in a moderate way. We run ads that do just brand, but we've figured out how to build the ROI first.
1: Right. And you've mentioned something about how you like to come back and uh, with your political candidates, bring the, brat, the brand back in uh, later on in the story. Can you talk about that a little bit? How you do that? I think it's about uh, like you reinforce it, I think is the word you use. What does that mean?
0: To reinforce the brand?
1: Yeah. Like you, you figure out, like once they're already have already bought from you, yeah. you know, there's a second stage to this. Like, what is how is that different?
0: Well, you got to build relationships. Like I go, like if you are not creating raving fans, like that's, you know, I ultimately want to work myself out of business. Like your customer base should be your marketing team. If that's not what you're working towards, then eventually you're going to go away. We're in too, too much of a disruptive economy right now. It doesn't work like that. So what I, you know, let's say, uh, again, I'll go back to the example. Well, actually I'll give you another way. We work for a national pest control company. They have millions of customers, right? What I'm trying to do is not only bring in new customers, I'm trying to get reoccurring customers, but what I want to do is eventually get the customers to be incentivized to bring in new customers, not me, if that makes any sense. And that's what the brand becomes, and it almost becomes an evangelical brand, right? You see this with obviously like evangelical brands. We all know the evangelical brands of Apple and everybody else, I get that. What I'm trying to do is if you're like with this pest control company, hey, you get 5% off your next year if you refer uh, your neighbor or a loved one. That 5% discount, as opposed to spending a ton on ads, is a infinitely higher ROI. And by the way, it's just a good way to be. Like, I don't want to be in a world where I'm just a transaction. I want to be in a world where I, I'm cared about and I'm thought of and people think of me and want to, Give me things and make me a royal, a loyal raving fan. I am crazy about raving fans like that is ultimately the end point. And if you're not building the raving fans, if you're not giving more than you're taking, then you're going to be out of business. I'm telling you, we are in a the craziest moment in economic history right now. And I know this because in politics, it's already happened. The most disruptive force in the human history of American politics or world politics is in the presidency right now. Whether you hate him or whether you love him, it's the most disruptive force that has ever existed. Everybody's had to adapt and adjust and innovate and come out of that, whether it's through the marketing or whether it's through policy or whether it's through lawmaking or whatever it like is. I've seen it, and this is actually what's happening in the economic world right now, in the marketing world right now. You've gotta build connections, deep connections, you have to maintain those relationships, and that's the way to grow your business infinitely.
1: I love that, and I think the as we're getting towards the end here, and we're we have a just a little bit of time left together. I'm thinking like the the things that I see all the time right now are the the business owners that are trying to get moving, trying to get started, and they're they're saying, yeah, I, you know, okay, I'll, you're telling me I should build my brand a little bit. I'm gonna, you know, I'll let you take the reins, and you'll build my website you know, for, you know, X amount of dollars right. and you'll get me up on Instagram because I don't know anything about that, that tool, because that's where all the people are saying the attention is right now. And, you know, I pay for this, this shiny object, this pretty thing that has no following <laughs> number one. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm so paying true. you a monthly retainer because you told me retainers are what I'm supposed to be, you know, it's what right. you are worth. This is what the, the environment that, that businesses are, are in right now yep. and what they're being told is marketing. What can they do different? In other words, like they're started, they don't know what to do, but they need, and finding a partner to trust is damn near impossible. Yeah. So like, how do you take ownership and start to understand like, yeah, I get it. You should be testing. You should, you know, you should learn yeah. more about your customers, but how do you get started doing that? Like, how do you find e- either, how do you find the right partners? Number one, or how do you learn enough about it yourself that you aren't going to be building shiny objects that don't actually sell your, your product? So that's
0: a great one. The first thing I'd say is everybody should be doing it themselves first, right? And there's going to be a lot of hit and misses, and you know, people say, "Well, I don't have five thousand dollars to spend on uh, overlaying a customer base, or I have no customers, and I don't have five thousand to spend on a lookalike audience." So, the thing I say is, "Good, you have SurveyMonkey. Like, be resourceful. If you're an entrepreneur or a marketer, go be resourceful. Like, I as goofy as this sounds, if you don't, you're not willing to hustle, and you're not willing to fail. And I don't, I don't know, I'm not talking to you right now." So go out on the street and ask people what they like and do your demographic. I mean, is it perfect data? No, but find out. And you can do that. You can hustle your way out of it. Listen, Brandon, you're hustling your way in life right now. And this is what I admire about what you've built. Thank you. Like I am too. Like, it's not easy. Like I've built very successful businesses. I've taken no money out of my businesses in five years. My wife wants to kill me right now, (laughs) but I so believe in building sustainability and I so I'm not trying to, you know, my company I get, it's called Go Big and Win Big Media, the two companies, but I'm really not trying to like go to, I don't, I don't have infinity. I want to get to a level and then optimize the hell out of it all the time. And you could do that from the beginning. I certainly have failed lots of many, 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 many times. The reason that, that I'm successful is because I just keep getting up from failure and it doesn't bother me. It's just feedback. So that's the key. Data is feedback. Go figure out your feedback. Test your load. You know, uh, Tim Ferriss even preached this in five hour or four hour work week many years ago. Run cheap banner ads on Facebook or Instagram and figure out what people are clicking on. You can find out from data a million different ways that don't cost you a lot of money. The other thing is, and this goes back also to your question, is like, how do you choose, once you're ready to hire somebody, how do you choose the right person? I think anybody in marketing right now that has long-term contracts of six months or longer are completely unethical. The business owners should say, no, I'm in charge. I'm going month to month. Like I know that I do that. It's not a pitch to hire me. You should demand it out of your marketing firm that you're working with. And if they say no, that ought to tell you where their priorities are. So are they working for your win first? And that's the question I would keep asking over and over and over. And you know, I just like, I go on and on about this. Like if they say, we got to go spend all this money on testing. well everybody test you shouldn't spend a lot of money on testing. you should sp- I, I, like I said I've found success testing creative and, and messages on banners. it doesn't convert, but man do you get good feedback out of it and you don't have to go spend a hundred thousand or five hundred thousand dollars testing these things. You can do it for five thousand dollars, and we do because I'm obsessed with showing the business owner that they don't have to spend all this money up front in order to win the game of marketing.
1: I think that's huge. And it's something I've preached here. Definitely. Is I also think, you know, building project based work instead of retainer based work. And when you're getting started is huge. You could say, what's the start and end of this. What are the results right. I'm going to get for the thing I'm building? Sure. Maybe I just need a website, but I don't need you to maintain it, you know, for a thousand dollars a month. Right. Maybe I just need you to build one Facebook ad yeah. and I can learn how to run it myself or whatever the thing is. And then you know, get that yeah. feedback.
0: The example I'm about to give you, please, I'm not asking like, for every startup to give me a, a buzz. You're certainly welcome to. But we've done so much work in the pest control industry, right, for national chains that a competitor entered the marketplace and they just didn't have a lot of money. And they came to us and we, they, they worked for these big national pest control chains and they wanted to start their own. And they loved working with us. So soon as they started, they've been working for a year. They've gotten it now to be a seg- seven-figure business. And they came to us and they said, We got to have you guys our marketers. Like you guys, we love working with you guys. And all this. Stuff. I said, Cool. And they said, But we're starting. So what can we do to protect our risk a little bit? And we said, Yeah, we know how to sell this. We've been selling it successfully for a long time. So here's what we're going to do we're going to take a percentage of every sale. And you don't have to pay us our typical retainer. And they went, we all win and they trust us. They know us, you know, we've built a long-term
1: relationship. And, and no one's offering that. Like no marketers out there are offering that.
0: Well, my thing is you should, why not ask them that? They can say no. And by the way, nine out of 10, I'd probably say no, but we'd worked with these people. We, we love working. Like I, I just missed working with those guys. They were great, fun marketers. They completely trusted what we did. So in that particular company, they were working for a national chain. They walked through all five steps of our five-step process. And month four, they had the greatest, this was back in May, they had the greatest month in the history of the company. The company's 40 years old because our ads, our creative, our videos that we shot, all intersected all the messages from all the data. It was a family-owned business. It was created by a family. They gave it to charity. They had green safe products in their you know, arsenal of pest control offerings. All of these things are what we found in the data. And then when we applied it to the creative, we, had, we produced the greatest month in the history of a national pest control chain. And so like the steps work, you got to build trust. There, if there are good opportunities, have people say, hey, have a, have a piece of the action, but you got to prove it first.
1: Well, I think that's, that's a huge one. You've been dropping bombs on us all day. I, <laughs> I appreciate it. it. Guys, the book, Fire Them Now, The Seven Lies Digital Marketers Sell is out there and available for you. Go to winbigmedia.com or philipstutz.com. Those links will be in the show notes and get that free marketing audit. If it's you know you want to see how your business can, you know, be doing a better job at marketing, check that out. There's so much from this. Rewind it, take it back. <laughs> Think about what you can be doing in your business to take a little bit more control of your marketing and not just hand it off and, you know, gamble and see what happens. Philip, awesome having you here today.
0: Hey, I'm really honored. Thank you for, you know, we talk about connection. This podcast costs you more than it brings in. Fair? That's for sure. And you are giving back and trying to help others, which is what we all should be doing. So I honor you and I'm grateful to be here.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. And thank you guys. Keep on listening and I'll catch you guys next week.